just the amount of fish being pulled out of the ocean. So there's like 250,000 fish being pulled out of the ocean every single hour. And there's more plastic in the ocean than there probably are fish in the sea right now. And there's predictions that by 2050, there will be no more fish left in the sea. And then we think about what that means sort of at a cultural level, right? So people can say, well, so what? Well, you think about Haiti, for example. Haiti is the way that it is because they've depleted all their natural resources. Like they don't have any fishable water anymore. They don't have arable land to plant crops and to grow things. And as a re you don't think that it really matters, but then you think sort of the next layer above that is, okay, well, what does society look like when that's the case? And what does like your daily experience look like if that's the case? And so I think for me, it's sort of having more of this like bird's eye view and sort of this view of the future, like where are we headed and what can we do to sort of change what we're doing and the way that we're living our lives. And I think working with kids makes it really exciting because it's really awesome to empower kids to do this and to sort of adopt this lifestyle and to kind of tap into what matters to them. And I think kids do care about this stuff, you know? That was Dr. Monica Davern, and this is the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. Hey, hey, YT community, welcome back to episode 69 of the pod. I'm psyched to have you here and super psyched to be sharing our guest with you today. Not only is Monica a triathlete and a yoga instructor and a vegan, like that's not enough for the makings of an amazing show. She is a doctor in residence specializing in the field of pediatrics. She is on the front lines of our future and she's making an impact not just on the children of our tomorrow, but entire family units. And she says for those people who are on board with her oatmeal and family dinner prescriptions, she is more than generous with her time, knowledge, and guidance, leading these families into wellness that they never believed possible. She listens and digs and finds the sticking points and looks at what is important to her patients. From there, she compassionately assists them in reorganizing their health. Monica has an air about her, well, you're going to feel it as soon as she starts talking, but in short, she's real. She's to the point and she's so honest. She certainly doesn't pretend to be higher up than the rest of us or perfect or protective about her past and the challenges that she has faced. We talk about her story and its many branches from life as an overweight child to losing someone very dear to her in her life and how that helped to heal her family to her marriage with fellow triathlete and number one husband, Jesse who we pull into the conversation more than a few times. She explains her sticking points for becoming and staying vegan and why it makes her happy. And we get to the divine path that fell into place, which brought her to medicine. Another story of perfectly timed events that quickly took her life into a new direction from Tulum to Thailand. But if there's anything to take away from this episode to share with your friends, families, and fellow parents, it's her exquisitely simple equation for developing the healthy palate of a child. It's so simple. It's so simple that it's almost hard to believe. And it's something that you can start anytime with your family. But that's the issue here, folks. The issue that overcomplicates so much of our lives. It's not believing in the simplicity of what it takes to eat healthy, live well, and choose the high vibe. When we work with our athletes and clients, whether that be getting on the bike after a crash or healing a spousal relationship or providing a healthy meal on a consistent basis to themselves and their families, it all comes down to very simple components of mindfulness and a return to simplicity. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner do not have to be complicated, and the sacred ritual of nourishment was never intended to be stressful. 
So if you're struggling with your life situation, all or parts, we are here to support you. Yogi Triathlete is the holistic performance coaching company of myself, Jess, your host, and my soulmate, co-host, and head triathlete at YT, BJ. We work one-on-one with our athletes to achieve greatness. We provide them with the how and the why that is so often left out and the tools to be the masters of their mind. And we are accepting new athletes now, and it's never too early to start preparing for your next finish line or too late. I've been finding athletes are really benefiting from mindfulness sessions with me during their taper to ensure that their mental game is on point come race day. This podcast is a limb of YT, and it's the place where every week we share the stories of people looking, finding, and living their purpose. Thank you everyone who has generously donated on Patreon to support the show. And if you haven't seen it already, we've uploaded a recorded Skype video with Monica where we talk about the implications of dairy and the latest research that is critical for new moms to have in their knowledge bank. So check that out. If you've been thinking about becoming a patron, your support will give you the access to exclusive and early release content like this. And a big shout out to everyone who's left a review on Apple Podcasts. Brittany, Jennifer, Money Mike, love that handle, dude. Lauren and Matt, our power couple from Philly, and Long Blonde Ponytail, to name a few. You guys are all amazing. Thank you so much for taking time to share your experiences. Each review is so different and genuine to you, and we are so grateful for your contribution and our mission to create a better world. We are doing it, you guys. We, as in all of us, together, the collective consciousness of Yogi Triathlete is a force and we will not be stopped. And speaking of a major yogi triathlete force in the world, let's get on with our chat with Dr. Monica Davern, the one and only happy vegan MD. I look like I know what I'm doing, but I have no idea what I'm doing. She doesn't, she just presses the button. I definitely don't know what I'm doing. So. <laughs> <laughs> I trust you, 100%. All right, so we are here at your house. Thank you so much for having us. Of course. And why don't you share with everybody how we met? (laughs) I love the way the universe works. I know. Because you and I met first the day before. We met first over a pair of ultra running shoes, right? Yes. We were talking about, where were we? We were at the ultra tent? We were at the Healdsburg Running Company. Okay. At at Santa Rosa 70.3. That's right. Um, And I overheard you asking something about vegan something. And I look, and were you wearing a pair of ultras? Yeah. Okay. And I looked at your shoes and I was like, you're wearing vegan shoes. Yeah. You're like, those and shoes I are vegan. I got so excited about it because I used to run in those and I loved them. And, um, yeah. So then like it just sparked this great conversation about, you know, veganism we, we had like this running this three minute, like vegan power. We were instant combo. friends. We were instant friends. Yeah. yeah. And then you walked out of my life. Until until the, the very next, next day when you were right next to us in line to get on the bus and I was so happy to see you and then we were all instant friends again. <laughs> we're standing in the pitch dark getting our shuttle bus to the lake for the 70.3. Monica turns around. She was like, hey, we met yesterday. <laughs> and now we're here at your house and your husband, number one husband, we just officially heard from Dr. Michael Greger that your husband is the number one husband. That's right. Sorry, BJ. Uh, You're number two. I'll take number two. You'll be be number number two. two. (laughs) And we're in your beautiful house. I'm looking at the uh, skyline of San Francisco right now. And Jesse made us these incredible beet burgers, which I'm now going to have to recreate for cookbook number two. And of course, I'll give you some credit as my inspiration. (laughs) But they were amazing. And we had, what'd you put in those black beans? 
There was a spice in there. Yeah, yeah, so the, the black bean... The black beans <laughs> were... We're bringing uh, them in. You actually made those, Monica, a while ago. Uh, we made oh, so they were old? Of, well, we make big batches and freeze them. <laughs> oh, those um, were the ones I froze? Oh. Yeah, so I think it was a little apple cider right. vinegar was like Yeah, the that's the secret ingredient. Ah, mm -hmm. those were and good. And do you soak Thanks. the beans and cook them yourselves, or are they... Yeah, we made? soaked them. You do? Mm -hmm. And then we cooked them... I didn't soak them in the vinegar, though. I just used that when I cooked them. Okay. Yeah, and then just whatever spices you have on hand. Because they were really good. Yeah, really? they were awesome. Thanks. So we had a delicious yeah. dinner. Yeah. And now we're here diving in because after we met you, this is what we do now that we're podcasters. We meet people and then we start to stalk them. <laughs> and then we found you and you are the happy vegan MD. And we're like, what? Not only is she vegan and amazing, she's a doctor. And, she's and happy. not only is she a doctor, because <laughs> we've, we've had doctors on the show before, but what I love about you is that you're a pediatrician and we get a lot of questions from our listeners you know parents who are they they're eating healthy and they're transitioning but mm -hmm. you know they don't know what to do you know for their kids and mm -hmm. and how to make those healthier shifts for them and all of that so maybe we can dive in a little bit into that but I want to get Absolutely. into your story okay what should we get into the plant-based story first Let's go. Yeah, Let's do that. Okay. Plant based yeah. story. Oh, wow. Okay. Then so, we're going to get into the triathlon story. The okay. doctor story. Yeah, the doctor story, <laughs> I think. Okay. All right. Cool. So, the plant story is that basically I was never really that into eating meat. I think as a kid, I was, I just never really liked it. And maybe it's because I was ultimately going to be a doctor. I don't know. Maybe I, that was something that came to me much, much later in life. But I always just saw like anatomy whenever I saw anybody eating like a steak or a chicken, I always, it just kind of reminded me of like body parts for whatever reason. Um, because and, it was. Right, exactly. <laughs> but even as a kid, you know, that's not, I don't know if that's right. like a normal yeah. reaction. But Yeah, like parents don't serve up, you know, they serve up steak. They don't serve up, you know, like, like latissimus dorsi. Yeah, exactly. Right. So for whatever reason, I was kind of just turned off by it and I was never really that into eating meat. Um, and I spent most of my life as like just a vegetarian for that reason. And then we moved out here. I was sort of like veggie curious, I guess you could say. And I was like, well, I've wanted to be a vegan for a while. So I'm just going to go for it and see how it goes when we moved to California. Because for the first time, we weren't around our families all the time. And um, like both of our families are from Colorado. And I think that, you know, for people that are trying to transition, that can actually be really hard because people around you are sort of used to you behaving in a certain way. And it can make some of these things more difficult. So I thought, OK, well, I'm just going to like dive in and go for it. And Jesse was pretty quick to follow like a few weeks later. Um, and it's sort of one of those things where it's like the more you learn about this, the more you want to know and the more you are kind of surprised and repulsed in a way. And you sort of, it just makes the whole thing so much easier. And um, the behavior just becomes a magnet for itself, right? Like you just, I don't have any desire to eat all these other things. Like I don't really look at milk products or dairy products as food necessarily anymore. Um, the way that a lot of people probably presume that you do as like a plant-based person. Um, so I think it's been really awesome. I think for me, it's just been more of a way to be more thoughtful about um, what you're doing and kind of like your role um, in society and your responsibility as like a, a human being and a citizen of the earth. Um, and for Jesse, I think it's been really awesome too, because I think he's experienced a lot of um, like just changes in, in, in his own body and health and benefits like that. So, 
what were what was your relation so you're vegetarian i'm assuming you you then you still had dairy what was your relationship with dairy like did you were you a cheese person were you i that's interesting. Was I a cheese? No, I was never really that into cheese. I liked like milk, and I really <laughs> he's, loved. He's ice thinking cream. you have a selective memory so, okay, right now. So when I was in college, <laughs> number one husband's not buying okay, this. So when I was in college, I actually have to confess I tried to be vegan for like a while in college, but I would get drunk and I would eat the ice cream in my sorority in the middle of the night. <laughs> and that goes out the window. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so in I think ice cream was always like the big pull. Like oh, I was, that was BJ. I'm totally an ice cream person, but I love vegan ice cream. So it's like a whole new food group in our house, which is awesome. So did you go right from the ice cream to the vegan ice cream or was there like Ooh. a lull and did you, were you craving it? Or? I don't know. I can't remember now. I think, I think out here nowadays, it's, there's just like so many good choices that you can right. find that are dairy Yeah, you're yeah. in California. You're yeah. in, not only you're in California, yeah. yeah, you're in the Bay Area. Totally. So I think it's been really an awesome transition really for our marriage too, because I feel like it's something that, you know, I don't think you really, pe- most people don't really realize like how a personal food really is to them and what a huge part of your life it is. But really like every time you sit down to eat anything, you're thinking about it and you kind of have to put this new lens on all of that. And um, I think for us, it's been something that's been really just great for our relationship. Like it's something that I feel like we, it's like a value that we share and it's pretty cool. And, and you think, discover it together. Like you've been discovering exactly. it together. So when we headed out on our trip, one of the biggest questions I was getting was like, how are you going to eat? How are you going to eat plant-based on the road? And how are you going to, mm-hmm. how are you going to do this? And I never even gave it a thought because it's a non option for me. Like, of course yeah. I'm going to eat plant-based and we're in America, right? We'll like, right? Although there were a right. couple places we were, I was like, whoa, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we are in the hollas. Uh-huh. Um, but how, when you travel, how do you do it? Have you, have you run, I guess what I'm asking is, like, have you run into any problems that would, that would validate anyone's concern of being plant-based, especially like if they travel a lot or something like that? Um, I don't think so. I mean, I think it's it really what it comes down to is just being prepared, right? Because anytime we go anywhere, I'm really lucky because I'm married to somebody who's a total planner and like is, thinks everything through very well. So I think if you're prepared enough, like you can handle anything and then the other thing is just knowing like what to look out for so at first we would go to a restaurant with my parents when I was like first transitioning and I would order a salad for example not really realizing that the dressing that came on it could be like creamy or have some sort of dairy or cheese in it or just things like that or asking if they cook with butter and you know kind of the details but once you're sort of familiar with how it works it becomes so much easier and you kind of realize that it's not that important like I can eat a meal with my friends and have a salad and have it be like a simple meal and I can still enjoy it and still have fun. And it's Mm -hmm. not, it's not like I enjoy being with them any less over it. Right. And I think the same is true for family gatherings and I think both of our families have really like kind of come around and can see that now. And it's great. And it's like, we're not eating your apple pie, but we still love you and everything is fine. Right. It's not about the food. Right. It doesn't have to revolve, revolve around the food. Exactly. There's much more to it. Right. Isn't it? The whole thing is like community and Mm -hmm. engaging with people. Yeah. And, and staying in alignment with your values. You know, when I talk to people about mindful eating, when, and I'm not even talking about being plant-based, but mindful eating, like around the holidays, especially Mm -hmm. Thanksgiving, which is just such a gluttonous holiday. It's, so like I mean, we yeah. were just saying before we turned the mics on, like it's just not my jam. And I'm famous for ditching our my family on Thanksgiving a lot. 
because I just, um, it's stressful. Yeah. It's, it's, I just don't, I don't, I don't agree. I don't agree with all the yeah. suffering that happens in the slaughtering yeah. of the turkeys and for what? Oh, there's Clark. <laughs> Clark's outside and he's peeking he's in the so window. Cute. He's like, wait a minute, they're podcasting and I go to the podcast. He <laughs> <laughs> can hear my voice, I'm sure. He's so cute. Oh yeah, the the mindful eating. Like there's there is like you were saying, it's like really emotional for people, but it's like the apple pie that your mm-hmm. mom made and it's tradition and if you say no to it, you're gonna insult her. But the fact is if you just exercise your right to be in alignment with what you want to put in your body and what you believe, I mm-hmm. think you find that um, it's not such a big deal. And in the case that it is a big deal and somebody's upset with you, mm-hmm. like it's you can't control what other people are going to think, say, or yeah. do in reaction to your action. So I mm-hmm. think it's so important to really stand up for yourself and and act in alignment mm-hmm. with what you believe, and because there's not much more important than besides mental nutrition mm-hmm. than the phys- like the food nutrition that we put into yeah. our bodies it fuels everything that we do yeah and i think like setting an example is a huge thing too because i think that um i think one of the things that my family has noticed is they see like how happy we are and they see that we make this really fun and we put a lot of thought into it and you know, I think if you bring that to these family gatherings, like if you kind of infuse it with joy a little bit, people kind of see what you're doing and they're like, Oh, I wonder what that's all about. And they maybe are more curious about it. And I feel like at least people in my family have totally come around. I mean, my dad is basically vegetarian now. And the day that he stopped eating meat, I was like questioning the laws of physics. Like does gravity still apply? Like, am I dead? I don't know. And it's been a long time for him now. I think it's been probably a year or so that he's had anything, like any meat at all. So what he eats cheese still, but he's obviously com- he's they're around. they're watching you and they're seeing what you're doing. But have you been as a, as as a doctor? Have you been educating them? Have you have you have you had an agenda, or has it, yes. yes you had just shaking your head. <laughs> So how have you, how do you feel like you've influenced them? But I think what's, what I even want to dive into more, it's like we see people doing things. Like Mm -hmm. I see families walking around Carlsbad Village and everybody's like having their ice cream cone. And Mm -hmm. like you, I look at it and I'm like, it's frozen mucus secretion. Like that's (laughs) what it is. And nobody would buy it if that was on like strawberry mucus secretion. Nobody would buy that. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, oh, it's like just to walk by Mm -hmm. that and just kind of let it move through me. When you're seeing your family, the people Mm -hmm. that you love so, so much, how do you let go of that control? Yeah. Well, I think actually, so I don't, I don't think I am very good at letting go of the control, (laughs) but I think something that I am good at is kind of tapping into people's values. Um, And I think that that's something that's really effective. So um, I have a background in public health also. And one of the principles of health promotion is kind of honing in on like what matters to someone and capitalizing on that. So like for my mom, for example, like it was something just explaining like this makes me happy. Like my, you know, it appeals to my mom that I'm happy and that I'm healthy and that I do things like that. And if I'm doing that, she's always going to be curious about it. And she's always going to want to invest because my mom is totally amazing. And like, we'll get into whatever I'm interested in. So for her, it was like easy sell. I'm being vegan. You can be vegan too. Here's how to do it. And like for her, it was great. Like she's, you know, she's really had a lot of fun and she thinks through these things and she'll make vegan recipes for us every time we come home. And it's awesome. For my dad, it was much different. Um, like he's a very critically thinking person and 
you know, I had him watch some documentaries with me and it didn't really stick. And he was still sort of like, yeah, but I'm not buying it, whatever. And when you're watching the documentary, this is how I'd be. Like, watching the documentary, I'd be like, is he watching it? Like, he's right. not even looking at the TV right now. It's yeah, like, exactly. Were you kind of on the yeah. edge of your seat? Uh, I was kind of like, Dad, did you hear that? You know? <laughs> did you see that pus coming out of the factory farm? Like, did you see that part? Oh, and it, it just didn't really jive with him. But he's a huge reader. Like, he's an avid reader, and he'll read, like, anything under the sun. So I gave him a copy of How Not to Die by Dr. Greger. He read the entire thing, oh cover gosh. to cover, and was like, that's it. I'm not eating meat again. I'm done with milk. I'm not buying it anymore. I'm not buying butter. I mean, this was a while ago. Maybe he buys butter now. I don't know. But he definitely doesn't eat any more, like meat products or chicken. Did he have any health issues before he... No, my parents have been generally healthy, um, but I worry about them, you know? I mean, they've never really had any major health problems, thank God, but um, those those things certainly can help too as far as kind of making a statement or making an argument towards why this is all worthwhile and why this is something that people should think about doing. Yeah, and what about your siblings? Um, So both of my siblings are basically plant-based now, My sister has two kids who are not plant-based, but they're teenagers, and so it's their journey, and they can do what they want. But she herself actually is almost 100% plant-based now. My brother is too, but he still eats cheese. But he calls himself a chicken. (laughs) (laughs) But maybe not after he listens to this podcast about what I just said about mucus secretion. Right. Because I was a huge cheese addict, and I think it was... I always attribute it to Gene Bauer. I think I was listening to him, and he said... We are we are the only species to drink another species secretion, and I was like, "All right, I'm good, I'm mm-hmm. done. Thank you very much." I mean, and I was going through a half a block of Cracker Barrel like a night with restraint, right. with restraint. Yeah. Wow, because I could have I could have smashed through that thing every night, no mm-hmm. problem. I had cheese with every single meal, yeah. like, and I, like you, I was very much a natural born vegetarian. Mm-hmm. Like I'd be like, "Mom, this looks like what dead people would look like." You yeah, know, don't get it. That said, I had plenty of bacon and burgers in my life as well, but. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was the last piece. So yeah, that's what we find. Like even your family, BJ, um, eating healthier. My family is pretty much all plant-based at this that's point. Awesome. Yeah. And now they're starting to meditate. So. Wow. Okay. The <laughs> yeah. meditation piece is huge too. My brother is like super into meditating now. Nice. And it's, it's been really life-changing for him. It's been awesome. And you said he's like a coder, right? So like. Well, he's like, I mean, both of my siblings are super. Like intellectual. Like your family's intellectual. They are. I'm not a coder myself. I have no idea. <laughs> no, you're just a doctor. A, I have a website, but it's all like through some site that we're like cut and paste. <laughs> Whereas, like, both of my siblings run these amazing websites that I'll never be able to probably design. But, um, but yeah, you should have him on the show, actually. Oh, so that's right. Drywig.com. That's right. He does Check it super out. cool he stuff. He just came out with a new aero bike and some aero brakes that are super sweet. And, yeah. Oh, my maybe, God. Tell us a little bit more. Maybe like a preview. Of this, what, you know what? This audience is um, going to love him. So tell us a little bit about it because okay. you've told me about him before and he sounds yeah. amazing. Okay. So he is my big brother. His name's Nick. Um, and he was an attorney. So he actually like went to Cal law school and graduated that and then moved back to Colorado and, um, was doing a few different things and then started to, um, he was always really into triathlon and did a bunch of, um, tries and a couple Ironmans too, um, like in law school and then decided that he wanted to start like reviewing triathlon gear. So he made this website that was basically like a forum for reviews of different, like, items that you could buy so like wetsuits and brakes Mm -hmm. and all these things and I think over time you kind of realize like these 
things are good. Like these products are really good, but I think I could make, I could do better, you know? And he's super smart. He's probably like the smartest person I've ever met. And um, so eventually started designing his own like components and stuff like that. So I think the first thing he came out with was the brakes, which are super awesome. What are they called? So yeah, so his brakes are the <laughs> Omega brakes. The Omega brakes, yeah. Uh, okay. a, bunch of the, a bunch of the pros are riding them. <laughs> Don't go gamble. And, oh, okay. Um, Andy Potts rode them for a while, and some of the the Tour de France teams are using them on their time trial bikes. Um, Is it the material that they're made of? They're no, magnet, I, so like they're. Uh, it's like the shape of it goes on the front of the bike so that it's aerodynamic at all. Like it doesn't stick out at all. It's basically flush with the it's fork. It's a front. It's a front pole or a center pole brake. Okay. But um, they're super easy to like install because the the whole piece fits together as a magnet, and then. They're not disc brakes. They're like the rubber yeah. ones. But. But, and since then, he has, I mean, he has a whole line of um, aero bars. Oh, that's so cool. And he's, frames. he's in Colorado, right? Yeah. yeah. We were just in Colorado. But we'll, we'll be back. We'll be so back. when we go okay. back, and we'll... He, lo- he loves Malibu, so you can we'll, get him to come down. Oh, cool. See you or something. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm thinking about, like, meditation for him is... Well, meditation for everyone. Yeah. Let me just get on my... What do they call it when you get on... High no, horse. So, no, not my high oh. horse. My soapbox. <laughs> my soapbox. No. She doesn't ride horses. <laughs> <laughs> That um, meditation is good for all of us, but for him especially, because mm-hmm. creativity, our minds are not creative. Yeah. They're not designed to be creative. They're designed to be very analytical and to think and to do all those mm-hmm. amazing things. But the only place that we can be creative, and Einstein actually talked about this a lot, he was a mm-hmm. big meditator, is in the present moment. When oh, we wow. get into that gap between thinking and analyzing mm-hmm. is when creativity comes in. So for your brother who's super innovative, mm-hmm. um, meditation's amazing for him because yeah. um, it's in those moments where that creativity, the, those downloads can come in. That's awesome. And he can create the next amazing thing for yeah. the triathlon community. Yeah. I love it. That's so, so keep awesome. meditating, Nick. Yeah, yeah Nick. Nick. Keep it up and we're going <laughs> to get you on the show. Okay. <laughs> so how long have you been... Um, when did the happy vegan MD, when you're like, all right, I'm going to, this is my role now. I think it was when, it was like very shortly after I actually became vegan. So I was like, okay, I got to sustain this. Like but, I'm all in. Yeah. And I think it was because not only was I learning so much more about just the significance of like all of these things, um, but mostly about the planet. Like I feel like for me, you know, everybody has like the sticking point. I think if you talk to a lot of um, vegans, like what's the thing that kind of keeps you hooked Mm -hmm. in and what's the thing that matters the most. And I think for me, it's just like this responsibility of like us as people to the planet and like the sustainability. And there's so many things happening and so many changes that are happening that are really scary to me. And it's so much more than just the health benefits because I mean, those are so much more obvious and so much more tangible, but I think if you think about like a higher value, I think that for me, that was kind of the sticking point. So I wanted to do something that would help kind of spread awareness because I felt like for me, it was bringing so much joy and it was something that really changed my relationship with food because, you know, like in med school, I probably weighed a solid 10 to 15 pounds less than I do now. And I'm not a giant person, but I think I had a really unhealthy relationship with food. Like I had a lot of anxiety around it and that had been something that had gone on my whole life. Um, like I was overweight as a kid, which people don't believe, but you know, when I was a kid, it was really different. Like I was a kid that got bullied for being overweight and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. And so I had never really had like just a normal 
I didn't feel like I had like a normal relationship with food ever until yeah, that was I adopted you. a plant-based lifestyle, right? And so mm. it was just a different way to think about it. And it was something sort of like you cast your vote every time you sit down and like, I'm casting my vote for a sustainable lifestyle, a healthy lifestyle, all these things. So I just kind of wanted to share awareness and I just wanted to create space to sort of like have my thoughts be out there and sort of have the journey be more of a, you know, a transparent experience. And so that was sort of where the website came from. But it's funny because I don't code or anything, so I don't know much about it, but um, that's okay. it's been fun. Yeah. We don't expect you to do everything. Uh. So for people who, and I, I think that, especially with the release of Cowspiracy, mm -hmm. the whole environmental impact is really, it's, it's gaining major awareness, mm -hmm. but a lot of people still don't understand it. Maybe they've heard it. Maybe they've heard people say like, if mm -hmm. you call yourself an environmentalist, like you should be vegan and blah, blah, blah. But mm -hmm. can you share some things that really became your sticking point or things yeah, that really like, sure. oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. Yeah, I think, man, where do I even start? Uh, <laughs> I know, there's, there's I mean, this. just the oceans, I think, is a big one for me, too. Like, um, so I was born in Miami, Florida, and I've, like, always loved the beach. Just finding out, like, the significance of seafood, for example, because seafood had always been okay with me. Like, I was somebody who didn't really eat steak or chicken, but I would be okay with, like, fish. Sometimes. Yeah, and you grew up by the ocean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like... Just the amount of fish being pulled out of the ocean. So there's like 250,000 fish being pulled out of the ocean every single hour. And there's more plastic in the ocean than there probably are fish in the sea right now. And there's predictions that by 2050, there will be no more fish left in the sea. And then we think about what that means sort of at a cultural level, right? So people can say, well, so what? Well, you think about Haiti, for example. Haiti is the way that it is because they've depleted all their natural resources. Like they don't have any fishable water anymore. They don't have arable land to plant crops and to grow things. And as a re you don't think that it really matters, but then you think sort of the next layer above that is, okay, well, what does society look like when that's the case? And what does like your daily experience look like if that's the case? And so I think for me, it's sort of having more of this like bird's eye view and sort of this view of the future, like where are we headed and what can we do to sort of change what we're doing and the way that we're living our lives. And I think working with kids makes it really exciting because it's really awesome to empower kids to do this and to sort of adopt this lifestyle and to kind of tap into what matters to them. And I think kids do care about this stuff, you know, even if they don't know the details or the examples or can't tell you about the numbers. I don't know. For me, that's sort of the most important part. But. So many people we talk to, and I'm sure you get it too, like, like I'm, I'm totally plant-based. Well, I'm, I still do fish. It's like fit. Like I thought dairy was the last to go for people, but I really like for so many it's fish because they mm -hmm. don't feel that, you know, it's, it's harmful because, you know, very much like the cattle farms and the pig farms, it's out of our mm -hmm. sight. We don't yeah. see it. But another thing to consider is what's also being pulled out with those 250,000 mm -hmm. fish an hour. That's oh, everything else. Exactly. That's yeah. insane and to that's me, just that number. Part of it. And it's like this other idea that, you know, like you see these documentaries where, for example, I think the whole idea is really just that we're so far removed from like where our food comes from. And I think maybe that's the, the bigger thing. It's mm -hmm. just like, there's so many different layers between what's on your plate and where it came from. And like sort of this globalization that's going on all around us that people don't really see or understand fully um but you think too like in these documentaries they show for example like the baby chicks like that are discarded from i know whatever yeah. and they kind of like are funneled down this big like a trough looking thing and they're funneled down into this thing that like chews them up or whatever and they're all alive and it just 
it, I remember seeing that and thinking like that was a tough one for me too this is like you would imagine those things in the barrel that are coming down to be like bike parts or like you know a cog in a wheel or something but they're not they're like cognitive you know they're like they're creatures soul. they're, they're souls. souls and there's something so not right about that like it's so wrong and, and there's your chicken McNugget exactly yeah so yeah. I think it's just kind of having this higher awareness yeah. of things that most people don't want to think about or that, don't, that choose not to think about it and I think I what you just said was so potent because we there's not enough time in this month for us to sit here and list all of the things that like hurt our hearts mm-hmm. so much about what's going on. But that's that's not what I want us. That's not necessarily the way that we do it. And there, there are people out there, and that's their thing, and they share those horrible videos. I can't do it because I'm not here to pull the blinders down, yeah. but I'm also not here to. And I don't think PJ is here to like share information that just hurts people's hearts. But what I think is so important to understand, and then you can find your own journey into it if it speaks to you, is that we are so far removed Mm -hmm. from where our food comes from. And so you're a yoga teacher, like primary principle of yoga is this curiosity Mm -hmm. and being in wonder. And it goes right back to like the mindful eating education that I do for people. It's like one of the mindfulness things that'll say is like, you know, look at your plate mm-hmm. and just have an, ex- have a moment to consider the journey that that food took, whether it was mm-hmm. from the neighbor's garden or like your, one of your beautiful mm-hmm. fruit trees out back here, or, you know, was it thousands and thousands of miles away or was it, you know, with a mother and a family and a mm-hmm. community, you know, yeah, it's just exactly. considering that. And I think you don't have to watch earthlings and all these horrible things that right. are just going to like, da- like damage you forever because right. you can't unsee those things. But some yeah. people need that, but start with just getting in to a state of curiosity exactly. with the plate that's in front of you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I love how you and said that. And it goes, that. I think it just goes so far because it's sort of like the more curiosity you have, the more you can kind of like uncover and unveil, mm-hmm. you know, some of these things. And Yeah. yeah. Where you have to find that, like with your father, find the mm-hmm. avenue that yeah. he is receptive to. Right. You know, books. Yeah. It wasn't movies. Mm-hmm. It wasn't sitting with your, his daughter. and. Mm-hmm. It's like, where is he at in that moment? Yeah. And it's reading books. And if we can all just sort of take that approach to, you know, how can we meet these mm-hmm. people and, and help them understand, not tell them. Yeah, exactly. You, know? you could be like special forces for like family interven- inv- intervention. Like they could hire her to go in mm-hmm. and like evaluate and be like, this is their avenue. Ooh, I, you know, I try and do that kind of covertly in clinic anyway. Maybe this is like a nice segue into that. Yeah. 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 Um, that's funny that you say that. People don't know what's happening, but there's a lot of times happening. that they think they're just coming for a well child check, but little do they it's know. So much it's you know, it's so, so funny. Much we've un- we've unveiled many covert operation operational skills of our mm-hmm. guests on the show before. So I think there we just go. Yeah. we outed you. Yeah. Okay. So tell how do you do that? Uh, how does well, that it's work? funny because it's well, it's part <laughs> first of all, it's part of the well child visit to look at their growth chart and see how they're doing. But I think really it's um just something that's always in the back of my mind. It's like people need to hear some of these things. Like they need to hear that like we need to reset our relationship with food. They need to hear that like they're coming in for all these problems like abdominal pain and constipation and headaches and all these things. Because we're so out of touch with the things that we're putting into our body and the things that we're doing with our body. And so I think for me, that's sort of the message. Like if I had to drive the way that the encounter goes, it always is going to come back to that because people are just so far removed from all this stuff. So um, let me see. So I can start 
maybe like with just like experiences in the ED and stuff like that. But there are plenty of kids that come to the ED for stuff that's completely unrelated to it. What's any, the ED? Emergency department. Emergency sorry. department. That's so, okay. No, we like the medical um, lingo. Keep it going. Yeah, oh, ED. Okay. We'll dumb it down okay. anytime we need to. Okay. So, so maybe I should start and just sort of preface this by saying like I see patients in a lot of different clinical settings. And you're so, a pediatrician. Yes. Okay. So um, I see patients like in an urgent care or an emergency room setting and there um, I, it's really interesting because kids will come in with like abdominal pain that they've had for two weeks or they'll be in for their 12th visit to the emergency room for it or whatever. And it's related to most likely constipation. That's like something that we see all the time in peds, which is like a whole, it's like usually most providers don't like to deal with kids like that because there's not really a long-term fix for it. Like they'll, you know, we can prescribe medications that help, but they're probably going to come back with the same problem in a couple of months, Mm -hmm. unless you're able to actually like talk about the root of the problem. So you know, like, what do you eat every day for breakfast? So I usually just start with like a diet history. Like, what are you eating every day for breakfast, lunch, and dinner? And it's really interesting because people are super honest. And I'm like, if I were you, I would never be disclosing this to anybody. But <laughs> but they tell me. And so it's, it's like a very great place to start, you know. Like That's breakfast so beautiful. is almost always like Fruit Loops and a bunch of milk. And then there's lunch, which is usually at school, which is a whole another podcast probably (laughs) but um you know and then dinner as a family whatever and it's really hard because people have really different ideas about like what's healthy like they think that a healthy lunch is you know chicken and rice or they'll tell me their whole diet history for like a week and I'm like okay well where are the fruits and the vegetables like I haven't heard you say one fruit or vegetable this whole time and then they kind of get embarrassed they're like oh blah blah and then the, the other approach that a lot of parents take is they'll just kind of blame the kid like oh well he doesn't eat anything besides hot dogs or he only likes to eat sugary snacks and soda and I'm like well but your kid is four years old like who is in charge right like who's somebody is connecting this kid with all of these things and so it's kind of just mapping out like where the problems lie and seeing kind of where the like where is their wiggle room and kind of getting the parents to realize like what like what they can do to actually kind of reset a lot of these things. But the other part is that it has to be something that the family does together. So like in clinic is another place where I see a lot of kids. And um, a lot of times there, the parents will come in sort of identifying these problems themselves. They'll say, you know, like, I think he's overweight or she's overweight or whatever. And I think the most important thing is kind of bringing in all of the family members because like, it's just not a fair choice to say, well... I want my kid to eat healthy, but I'm not going to do it myself. And so you kind of have to introduce this whole new set of rules. And it's really interesting. Like, I think people kind of go through a lot of, like, you kind of have to help people shift the way that they think about some of this stuff. Because they're so ingrained to think, like, carbs are bad. Mm -hmm. Fruit is bad. Fruit is bad. Calories in equals calories out, which we all know is not necessarily the case exactly. And so just, and low-fat dairy is great, is, like, sort of the rules of thumb that people walk in with. And kind of working with them to change it. The interesting thing is that I feel like I've seen some kids that have really experienced like significant change and that are actually like on a healthy track now. So it's pretty great. So what's the, I mean, you're talking about like, like the way they're raising their child essentially. Yeah. And so what would you say the percentage of positive open reception that you're getting. I mean, they start with truth because they're like milk and fruit loops. Mm -hmm. But when you start talking about, 
you know, where are the fruits and vegetables Mm -hmm. or here's some things that we can change. Mm -hmm. How positive is that reception? Well, it's all about tapping into what they care about. Right. So Uh, another thing that we see all the time is asthma. So in Oakland, like we have some of the highest rates of asthma here in the United States because of the refinery that's so close. Um, Mm -hmm. and because the way that the air kind of settles in the Bay, but you know, people are really worried and people generally like have their kids best interest at heart. Like I would say, you know, most of the time and they want the asthma to go away, but they don't know that kids that get seven servings of fruits and vegetables a day have half the number of asthma exacerbations, for example. And so kind of shedding some of the light on Mm. that, then you can kind of open the door to talk about other things. And it's like, well, what are you eating at home and what are you doing? And so um, I think for me, it's kind of finding any channel that will get to the heart of the issue because we know that like so many of these problems can go away forever if you eat a healthy life, like a healthy diet, plant-based whole food lifestyle and do all these things. And so that didn't make any sense. That was like a total no, no, it's, it was, yeah. <laughs> run on sentence, but you're um, amazing. You know what I'm saying? We keep going like all the, night. We're going in all right. nighter with this one. Oh, We've got way okay. more to pull out of you. So I guess that's sort of how I try and approach it. And I think that actually I, the parents that I'm actually able to engage in a conversation about that, the majority of them are totally into it and will um, really make some of these changes. And, you know, I think part of it is warning them to like, okay, well, this is what I want you to do. This is the recipe that I'm prescribing you. Like you're going to go home and get rid of the Fruit Loops and you're going to have oatmeal with whatever kind of fruit your kid wants to eat for breakfast. And then for lunch, you're going to have an avocado sandwich and you're going to pack their lunch and you're going to send it to school with them. And then for dinner, you're going to cook as a family. You're going to like let your kid go to the farmer's market with you and pick out some stuff. Or you're going to like plant a garden in your backyard or in the window or whatever, or read a book about vegetables. I don't care what you do, but you're going to make it fun. And then everybody can kind of engage and do it together. The rules apply to everybody in the household so that everybody kind of does it together. And the families that are able to engage and get that far come back and they're so happy and there's, it's really cool. I mean, it's probably one of the most gratifying things that I get to see, but it's neat. you know. So you're a doctor working in a hospital, you're seeing these kids, like there's a time frame here on these visits, isn't there? Like, how are you, how are you having these conversations? Like, what does that time frame look like? How are you having these conversations? And are there colleagues that maybe wish you weren't? having these conversations actually it's funny because so I'm having these conversations and I think when people engage like I will because you can't help yourself like there's no way you know you know a pathway to health right you have to share it yeah but I think when people parents are engaged in this like I become much more generous with my time like I would I'm happy to sit there and just talk to them and tell them all the things because if it's going to make the difference in their life, like it might make a lasting change, right? So when a kid is six years old, if they're overweight, for example, they <laughs> your, have... Your big cat just walked by, speaking of oh. overweight. The gray, is the gray one the overweight one? The white yeah. one. Oh, he's kind of gray with like oh, white yeah, legs. Gray, yeah, that's yeah. the one. He's got a little pooch so, hanging down. Yeah, take all of this with a grain of salt because my cats are overweight. <laughs> <laughs> but they're not vegan, so there's that. But they are carnivores. Jesse and yeah, I were talking about right. this. And it's, they probably have heart disease. Cats are... <laughs> constipation. Yeah. And no, that they don't have. I wish they did. But anyway. Okay. Um... So like when a kid is six years old, for example, if they're overweight or obese, they have a one in four chance of becoming an obese or overweight adult. If we're able to reroute them, then that's great. 
because if we can do it at that age, the odds are a lot better. So if we, if a kid that's 12 years old, for example, is overweight or obese, their odds of becoming obese in adulthood are like, it's reversed. It's like 75% chance. So it's like, if they're six years old, they have a one in four chance of being obese, but then it becomes three out of four if they're 12 and they're obese. You know, those numbers are significant and they matter. But there's a lot of things that are really easy to do that can prevent that. Like if people eat dinner as a family, like just a couple times a week, regardless of what they're eating, um, just like sitting down and having dinner together can actually prevent a lot of um, overweight and obesity in adulthood too for kids. So I think it's just sort of a matter of tapping into like, what does their relationship with food look like right now? And what do they want it to look like? And what would that, like, what would the implications of that be? And how would their life be better if they could mm -hmm. just change a few things? And what, like, would they avoid having to come to the emergency room, like, three times a month? Or whatever it is that's going on. So just kind of allowing them to kind of think through that space and see, mm -hmm. kind of like, what would my life be like if this were a little bit better, if this were a little bit different? And I think for most people, it's the curiosity piece, right? that actually kind of gets them to invest. But I, I also prepare them and I warn them a little bit that this isn't really easy, right? It's gonna take like a total upheaval at first, but if you're able to do it and kind of push through the first week, two weeks, three weeks, month, then everything will take care of itself because you start to feel good and you're happier and you know everybody has more energy to do everything that they wanna do. So I feel lucky because I don't just tell the, it's not like I'm just impacting the kid necessarily, it's sort of like their entire little unit and their family that hopefully can kind of grow together and yeah. Yeah, it's a really potent way to affect the entire family because especially if you're talking to the mother, I mean the mothers mm -hmm. tend to be the decision makers in the household. Yeah. So what has been the reception of the other doctors and the nurses and the hospital that you work at? Have you had any backlash mm -hmm. from spending extra time with well, patients or has it been pretty receptive because the information is they so actually well really known. like I get a lot of people's patients referred to me because for the most part these are problems that people don't want to deal with mm. like the constipation the chronic abdominal pain can be kind of a drag so like, nutrition yeah people like, don't field. people don't know what to tell their patients first right. of all because like the training on this is so it it's very variable like depending on which med school you go to and then even the training that you get really doesn't mention anything about plant-based nutrition at all it I mean, now maybe it's coming up at a couple of like places mm -hmm. um, a couple of med schools are starting to do it. But like, I certainly didn't have education on that in particular, even though we did have like a nutrition curriculum where I was trained, but um, people are really happy. They're like, oh, great. I'm just going to refer this kid to you. I think that it would be great for them. But it's funny because at the same time, they're like, I think on a personal level, like at work, when I just hang out with my coworkers. I get picked on all the time and it gets so <laughs> annoying and it gets super old sometimes and I'm like, look, you guys, I don't really care. Like, <laughs> you can eat whatever you want. I'm not judging you. I'm going to eat what I'm going to want. I'm going to, you know, do this like my way. And it's funny because some people are curious and they want to know more and they're interested and some people like come to me for advice and this and that. But I don't know. It's sort of like a double-edged sword. It's like people know that this is something good, but they're not necessarily always willing to... Well, kind of take it on themselves. They've got to fine. face their choices. Yeah. They've got to bring consciousness to their choices. Mm -hmm. And that is, um, that's, that's a hard thing to do is to put the mirror in front of you and look at it really good yeah. and long and say, okay, is this, is this aligned with my career and health and everything that I know? So, yeah. 
it, it's um it, and I think that's where the jokes come from too and that's what I noticed like they're kind of not right. really happening anymore but like the first couple of years like going out with my family my brother would be like you gonna order the lamb and I'm like yeah I'm gonna order the lamb like no, I'm not going to order the lamb. You know, I mean, <laughs> and, like, and, I, and I would say to him, like, that's only because you are uncomfortable with your own choices that you're saying right, that to me. But, exactly. you know, I wouldn't say that to a coworker. But it is, it's that uncomfortableness because yeah, you're right. Because you're doing something different. Mm-hmm. And then, oh my God, now the byproduct of that is that you're happy and healthy. Yeah. And then you're, right. cha- you're like not only helping your patients, but you're changing entire family units. Like, yeah. whoa, that's so, un- <laughs> that's so uncomfortable when I'm not doing that right yeah I can see what you mean yeah for sure and so there's compassion to be seen in Mm -hmm. that you know there's always compassion to be seen and and you know it's from a a yogic standpoint and you know a a firm believer in in karma I I look at that I mean even murderers you know I don't forgive the the act that they did but you know they are going to pay the price big because karma is a Mm -hmm. major bitch, you know? (laughs) And so I've been able to cultivate compassion for people who do violent things because I understand that it's their deep unconsciousness because we're not, we're not, um, we're not at our core. That's not who we are. That's deep unconsciousness. And so, um, you know, Eckhart Tolle talks about deep unconsciousness and ordinary un- unconsciousness. Mm-hmm. And ordinary unconsciousness is what most people think is like you're conscious, but it's like ordinary unconsciousness of being so entrenched in your beliefs and mm-hmm. your choices and everything that you've reinforced in your life yeah. that you don't even realize that it's an unconscious way to live. Yeah. And that the only way that we can truly be conscious mm-hmm. is to like be sitting there and, you know, looking at that child. Mm-hmm. And as a child, as like a child who was overweight, like mm-hmm. you must have so much compassion for those kids. Totally. And people don't understand, like, it's really interesting. Do you ever say that? you just oh, like, yeah. dude, I, I get you. Yeah, I tell kids that all the time. And they're always like, what? They look at me and they're like, <laughs> mm. oh, that's cool. And then they're like, oh, I want to be a pediatrician too. And it's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but I think, like, there's something interesting about the healing of, like, a family together too. So, um, like, when I was a kid, when I was five years old, my I have two older brothers, so I told you about one. But I have another older brother who um, actually passed away when he was 10 years old. He had um, leukemia. And after he passed away was sort of when everybody in our family kind of was overweight. Like, I think after that, it was something like this weird coping that a lot of families have. Oh, yeah. Like, because you had a huge loss. And it's like, I can't let go of anything else. So your body protects you. Yeah, even as like a five or six-year-old kid, you do that. Yeah, totally. But it was really interesting because when my... Several years later, my sister started running cross-country in high school. And my mom started running to, like, spend time with her. And it was sort of the beginning of this, like, healing, this really, like, amazing healing process that kind of brought everybody together. And, like, everybody started kind of, like, running together and, like, eating healthier and doing all these things that really, it was sort of, like, the thing that, like, fixed everyone, you know, that sort of allowed everybody to move forward. And, um, I mean, it wasn't until, like, my adult life that I ever realized that. But I think that for a lot of families, this is something that can be totally life-changing and you know, whatever it is. I mean, everybody has their story and everybody has their thing, but I think there's just like a, I think for me, the reason that I, all of this is actually worthwhile is because it's like this wanting to share that with people and to wanting to have, you know, other families experience that and um, hopefully like grow and do something good with it. 
And how many, like, I know you go, you're in your residency, so you were telling us about how you're going through like these rotations and like you're mm-hmm. in the um, pediatrics ICU right now. Mm-hmm. Like, what's a typical day right now? I know you're um, in the ICU, so, but I, yeah. I mean, like, somebody who lives in this little yogi triathlete world, like, I have to remind myself that, that there's a world beyond this world of like compassion and like meditating <laughs> oh and God, trying to work I on myself. Wasn't. I wish that was it. <laughs> I that know. It's so awesome. But unfortunately, I have a feeling you're busy. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So a typical day, um, I'll usually get up at like five. I hit the snooze button like a couple times and maybe I'm out of bed by like 5.15. Um, and then I ride my bike to work and usually I get to work around like seven. Um, and then it's sort of like go, go, go all day. And then... you know, at the end of the day, I ride my bike home. But every fourth (laughs) night I do, um, like what's, we do call. So that means that you stay in the hospital and you are on service until, um, the next day. So those are usually like 30 hour shifts. So it can get pretty intense. Do you nap? Like on on ER, ER, they used to nap. Um, (laughs) Oh yeah. So our emergency room shifts are a little different where we actually are only on for like 10 or I think 10 hours at a time in our emergency department. And it's because when you're on in the ED, you're on like you, you're lucky if you can go to the bathroom or eat a snack or something. Whereas like for other services, like in the PICU um, or the pediatric intensive care unit where I am now, it's a little bit different. Like the pace of the day kind of waxes and wanes a little bit more. And you know, you get there and like see all your patients and kind of get like the skinny on what happened overnight. And um, then you just check in with them and make a plan for the rest of the day. And um, in the PICU, it's a lot of like real time changes, like, you know, like blood pressure, like medications and titrating, just different things. And so it's a lot of medical accounting, some people call it, where you're just tracking like the numbers and the physiologic changes all day. But you have a little bit more time to kind of like take a break if you need to or whatever. And then there's a lot of other like that's what I'm doing right now. But uh, tomorrow I'll actually start an outpatient rotation. So I'll be more in clinic during the day. It's like different month to month. Every four weeks it's something new. And so, so being in the ICU is super intense. And you were, I was asking you like how do you let like some of the things that you see move through you and all of that. But as a yoga teacher... Like, how does your yoga inform you, like, in those moments where it's, like, super intense, but you're on, like, you're on, Mm -hmm. and and I think it's, it may even, let me know if I'm misspeaking, but, like, when you're, when you're on, it's almost easier because you're on and you're doing your thing, but when you step Mm -hmm. away and that's with you, like, how does, how does, like, the teachings of yoga inform you of, and I, and and the reason why I'm asking this is because we all have waves Mm -hmm. of life and they're super intense. Yeah. And so you don't have to be a pediatric doctor in the ICU to, mm-hmm. you know, have to um, learn this skill of kind of like letting things move through you. Mm-hmm. Or what do you turn to? Well, I turn to that guy a lot. Number one husband. Yeah, my number one husband. <laughs> um, but I think what I told you earlier, you know, it's letting these things move through is really hard and I'm not good at it. So it's something that I'm always working on, I think, and that I'll continue to work on probably for the rest of my life. But it's, you know, I heard a really awesome lecture on physician burnout, um, a while ago. And the, the guy basically said like, you have two choices. If you're going to be a doctor, you can either absorb everything that's thrown at you and not do anything with it and just decide that you're going to like absorb it all. Um, and eventually if you do that, you'll burn out and you won't be a very good doctor, right? You'll just sort of stop responding. Like at some point you put your guard up and you're like, okay, I'm at capacity. I can't really take this. And you don't, you don't really engage or experience 
you know, what is there for you. Like you don't, you can't see these people as human beings really anymore. You just sort of have like this numbness to it. But the other choice is to, you know, absorb what's going on and then turn around and sort of process it and like take care of yourself and then show up the next day, totally ready to like take on another day. Um, and those are the doctors that are happy and those are the ones that are fulfilled by what they're doing and they can continue to do it over and over without burning out. And so the goal is to do that obviously, but it's so hard. I mean, today was a really busy day and there was, um, you know, in peds you see some really, kids are really good healers in general. Like I think better than adults. Like we've seen kids like on death's door, literally who three weeks later are back to being a normal kid and they're like happy and playing and I see them in clinic and it's the most amazing thing ever. But there are other times where it's just, you know, it can be really sad and really hard. And I think it's just a matter of coming home and like recognizing that and saying like, you know, this is what happened to me today. This is what I saw today. And just kind of putting it out there. And I think it's hard because the trauma of it can be contagious. And so certainly part of me doesn't want to like share that with other people because I don't, I don't want other people to take that on necessarily, but it can be to a fault sometimes because if I just absorb it, right, then it doesn't go anywhere and it just kind of sticks around and I'll carry it around for a while until I get really tired of it and then whatever. So I don't know. Lately, I've just kind of been sending like FYI texts to Jesse, like, here's what happened to me today, you know, four-year-old patient, blah, 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 blah. And then at least he like knows you know, maybe he didn't experience it the same way that I did, or his understanding of it is a little bit different than, you know, what actually the way that I lived it or whatever. But at least then it's something that at least you're starting to get it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. But where does yoga come in? You're still practicing. Oh yeah. So I practice as often as I possibly can, (laughs) which is usually like three times a week ish. But I think that's the community of yoga is really awesome. I think that's something that has been super helpful for me. But I think just allowing myself to be there and to just like marinate in all of this and to just come as you are. And I don't know. I think yoga is so great because it gives your mind something to do when you really want to be doing other things, you know, when your thoughts are sort of somewhere else. So for me, that's a big Because so to define that a little bit, I'm hearing you saying like, and, and I actually teach this, like I say this to my mm-hmm. students, like that it gives your mind something to do. Yeah. You mean like you're, cause you're concentrating your mind on the movements mm-hmm. or the breath or. And someone's telling me what to do. I don't have to think about, oh, what am I going to do next? Yeah. What's my next move going to be? Yeah. Oh, this kid is not breathing or whatever the problem is. I don't have to think about it. Yeah. Somebody's just telling me and I just get to sit there and listen. And mm-hmm. there's something so nice about that. Yeah, you, know? you just show up. And, yeah, you just show up. And so many people are won't go to yoga because they don't think they're going to be good enough or whatever. And what they don't understand is, as teachers and even as students, like we don't care. Mm-hmm. I don't care how you show up. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had people crying in class, and you know that's just how they showed up, and that's fine. You know, mm-hmm. like you gotta let it move through whatever it is, but it will give your mind something to do. You can take your awareness and instead of focusing it on the thoughts that you're having, Mm -hmm. you can focus it on the breath that you're breathing or the movement that you're taking in the class. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I was going to say something else about that. Yoga. Yoga. About that yoga thing. 
Anyway, all right. Oh. I want to get into triathlon too. Uh, yeah. Okay. We're but wait, where did when That's when did sure. you know you wanted to be a doctor? Oh, okay. This is a long story. When you were dissecting the animal parts on your plate? No, <laughs> no. It's funny because no. I actually had a lot. I had like a quarter life crisis before I decided to be a doctor, but. Um, I had no I've idea. Had several. It's really funny, those. actually, because I was in the CU School of Architecture, like at first when I first went to college, which is like a really competitive program, and it's five years long, and it's like really hard to get into it, and it's great. And I, I was like, oh, I don't want to be in college for five years. I think I'll do a science major instead, which was like so stupid because then I was in college for like twelve <laughs> years after that. <laughs> anyway. So I did, um, I went to CU Boulder, got my undergrad, and then um, afterwards was kind of like, what am I going to do with a physiology degree? It's 2008, no one wants to hire anyone, and they definitely don't want to hire somebody with a degree in physiology. So like, what am I going to do? And it's so crazy that we were literally like right down the road at that that time. We were living in Sobo. Yeah, and I was teaching (laughs) yoga, right? So I was a yoga teacher way before I was ever a doctor. Oh my God, Um, I probably came to your class. You were teaching at Core Power Yoga. Were you teaching in Boulder? Yeah. Yeah. At that table, at that table, table baseline. The one on baseline. Our baseline. Yeah, yeah that's yep. where we used to go. Yeah. yeah, teacher training there in 2006. Oh I know, yeah. crazy, and that was so great. I mean, I did that like, it was just sort of on a whim, and it was like life changing. It was amazing. So anyway, oh yeah. So after college, I didn't really know what I was gonna do. So I started a program to get a master's in public health, um, and I took a couple classes. It was like at UC Denver in the city, and. Um, I didn't really know if I liked it that much or not, but um, then I had an opportunity to actually go to Mexico and teach yoga at a beach resort, like in the like biosphere. So it was this area that used to be the biosphere of Tulum that had recently like been released for people to build resorts and stuff. So it didn't have any electricity, it didn't have any potable water, and I like taught yoga on the beach there for like a couple months. And it was so awesome. And while I was there, I was like deciding, oh, do I like this MPH program to get my master's? I don't really know. Maybe I won't do it. Maybe I will. I like rode my bike to the internet cafe one day and I had an email that said, oh, hey, you got a scholarship through the University of Colorado to do a research program in Thailand for like six weeks. And do you want to go? And I was like, yes, please. Yeah, this is like so random. Like, how did you choose me? I've taken two classes, but okay, yes. So I like rode my bike back to the little resort in Tulum. I like told the lady I was going to leave. And then like two or three days later, I was back in Colorado packing my stuff and on my way to Thailand. So then I went to Thailand with this group and it was so awesome. And we did half the time was in Bangkok and half the time was in Chiang Mai. And it was all this like public health research about like the HIV epidemic in Thailand and sort of like looking at the social issues that sort of contributed to the successful like you know, public health awareness of HIV in Thailand and sort of what the logistics of that were, which was super interesting. And it's all based on this concept of like values, right? So like there's a huge sex trade in Thailand and um, that was part of it. And the other part of it was that like nobody wanted to talk about HIV. So like in the 80s when the HIV pandemic broke out, like they weren't allowed to have any radio announcements about it because the Thai culture is very like non-confrontational. So they couldn't really do any public messaging and they couldn't like figure out how to kind of like shut down, you know, the spread of HIV. But at the same time, there's this booming sex trade and like people are coming in and out of the country all the time. And so what they ended up having to do was going to these owners of the brothel, like they would go and say, you know, your sex workers are dying of HIV, like this isn't sustainable. And they didn't really understand. They're like, well, if they're going to die of HIV, they could die of anything else. They could starve, like whatever. 
but it was when you tap, they tapped into like, you are going to run out of money if all of your sex workers cannot work for you anymore. And that was like the thing that stuck. So they got all these people that was their sticking to point. start using condoms to prevent the spread of HIV in Thailand. And it was like so amazing. The guy that led this whole thing was, um, I'll never forget him. His name was Barry Carlin. And he was this goal. He was like 77 when he took us to Thailand for this trip. But he was the guy that trained all of the original Peace Corps volunteers in Thailand, starting with the group one, like way back in the seventies. And his life's work was like introducing the latrine to Thailand. So we would go out into the jungles and like meet with these village people and there'd be a latrine in the ground. And I was like, this is so funny and like so cool. But that was like the thing that he did to prevent like diarrheal disease and all this stuff. So anyway, from that experience, I kind of walked away with this like bird's eye view of the systems of like these health policies and like why things are the way they are. And like, why is it so hard for this poor little country to like, why was it so hard for them to come out of this HIV thing and like all these things. But we met with like individuals at the time too and like women who had been kidnapped into the sex industry and I just remember thinking like I, I feel like I'm understanding like the systems and all of these big problems but like I didn't know what to do to help like the individual and like what can I do and so that was sort of like it was like the path became clear and so I came back to the states and applied to medical school and finished my master's and was working at Kaiser for a while and met him and the, like everything else sort of like fell into place. Um, but I had no, I mean, it was like very unbeknownst to me until I was like 22. And it just like showed up in your email. It just cropped up in my email. <laughs> and it's so funny because I'll talk to my mom about it and she's like, oh yeah, I always knew you were going to be a doctor. I could have told you that. I was like, why didn't she say anything? Like the whole time I was like kind of floating around. Going to architecture school. Yeah. I'm like, mom, you could have like said something. But, and why kids? I don't know. They're just so much easier than adults. <laughs> like, I feel like I have, in med school, it was like really hard for me not to judge my adult patients. So when, before med school, I worked at Kaiser in the cardiology center for a while while I was finishing my master's. I just felt so judgy with everyone because it would be like some guy presenting to cardiology for a stress test where like we put people on a treadmill and see if they have ischemia or ischemic changes. And it was like, the, the guy would have had like a second bypass surgery and he's eating like Chick-fil-A in the waiting room and he's like 30 pounds overweight and he's still there. And basically if the test was fine, we'd give him like a bill of good health and like permission to go out and live his life and do it all over again. And I got so frustrated. Yeah. And it, it just like really frustrated me. And so I felt like kids were easier because it was a lot harder for me to judge them. And they're just generally like more fun and they don't have diabetic feet and stuff like that. So <laughs> those are the honest to God reasons. <laughs> but I also just like love kids and have a lot of fun with them. So I think it's, it's but a good fit. I feel like you're having such an impact on the entire family because you're not just talking to the kid. You're not like, okay, kid, go call Uber and get yourself a ride to the, you know, go get oatmeal, you know, get the oats in the bulk. Like right. you're not, you can't, you have to talk to the head of the household. You have yeah. to talk to the parent. Yeah. But it's funny how many parents will blame their kids, right? They're like, oh, right. he only eats this or he only eats that. And I'm like, well, who is really in charge? Like, I know. you're the adult here. I hear that all the time. Right. And, I'm, yeah. and like, we're, we don't have kids. Mm -hmm. So we're like, nobody's mm. going to listen to us. But I'm like. I don't know. I mean, but we've got some friends whose kids eat pretty darn healthy because they created a healthy palate, exactly. you know, and yeah. then, yeah. And, and y nobody's perfect right. by any means, but, um, but I think it's yeah. funny too. So like the number of times you have to introduce a kid to a food before you can actually like tell objectively if they like it or not, just guess. Like, let's say your kid is two and you're trying to like introduce different foods. I, I would think like, I don't know. 
couple times. Like 20. Oh. 20? Like 20 times before the kid will actually decide if they like it or not. So you just have to keep trying. Yeah. And that's it. I mean, like I tell parents. So they probably like try it once. No, great. Now. Right. Now exactly. People like, oh, one and done. Oh, they're never going to yeah. eat broccoli again. And then oh. like a lot of them don't ever try again. But um, I generally just tell that's people so like your job is to create a bunch of healthy choices and let your kid decide how much and when they want to eat. So like you don't ever force feed a kid. Don't like this idea of like the clean plate club, I think is like a horrible idea. And like, I think God, my mom never like forced me to finish my plate. And I think that's one of the best oh things God. that she ever could have done. <laughs> but like, you know, you don't want to create this weird pressure around food. Like you just want to make it fun and exciting and something that they enjoy and something that brings people together. So, you know, as long as all the choices are healthy, like they can have some, they can have all, they can have none. It's up to them. But um, just kind I love of creating that, idea. that healthy environment, I think is the most important. You thing. just took all the complication out of how to get your kids to eat healthy. You provide them with healthy choices. And then what did you say? They can decide like how yeah, much and when. Some, how none, much and, I mean, it's nice to eat as a family. So dinner, family dinner is really important. And I think like making a ritual out of it is also super important. Um, but like the amount of food and which ones and all that stuff, like you can let them decide and that's fine. And you can invite them into your kitchen. I think a lot of people also feel like it's sort of this battle. Like they want to have, mm -hmm. they want to create this healthy meal and they have like this agenda regardless of what other people want or whatever their kids want. But I think if you are able to pull them into the kitchen, it's super easy. Like they just, they get excited about stuff and like you can give them five bucks and go to the farmer's market and And it takes the pressure off the person who's preparing the food because mm -hmm. there's a lot of like, oh, I have to make dinner for everyone now. And it's like, mm -hmm. actually you don't. Like, bring everybody in. Yeah, Like, totally. they're, they're capable humans. Yeah. Oh, and if right? I don't have the butter, then they're not going to like it. And it's like, well, but who cares? Like, then they won't eat it. And right. Then that's fine. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. They'll get hungry and they'll eat eventually. Hmm. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. And good. It but it Does takes a while, right? You have to give it a little bit of time. 20 times. 20 times. Minimum. I think adults are like that too, actually, but we just <laughs> don't admit it. <laughs> <laughs> it took me 20 years. With BJ, no. <laughs> 20 years for what? Get used to. <laughs> Get used to new foods. Mm. No, he's good now. He'll eat anything. But yeah, when, I met, when I met you, you weren't eating. Yeah. He was eating the weirdest combination yeah, of foods. Yeah, just some random stuff. We used to eat. It's on one of the podcasts. Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> you'll you'll listen to Your former vices it. and yeah. all that. That's so funny. We <laughs> yeah. used to eat. Those creep out every wanna, now and again. It was gross. <laughs> we would eat tuna helper. Oh, <laughs> so nasty. <laughs> but can we talk about like the healing power of a vegan diet for a second? Yeah, yes, please. Of course. Because I when I met Jesse, so when I met Jesse, he was like a meat eating guy, like Colorado Springs, meat and potatoes. And he's always been a hockey player. And when we met, I feel like he had the skeleton of like, he had like the orthopedic structure of like an 80 year old man because he was like super fit on the outside and like strong and like jacked. But like we would, we, I remember when we first started going out, we went couch shopping one day at Ikea <laughs> and after sitting up and down, like doing the squatting motion of like sitting on a couch, standing back up, he couldn't do it anymore. And his left hip was like completely swollen. And he was like, we got to go home. I you were inflamed, he my was friend. Inflamed. Yeah. And now he's out doing, he's like training for an Ironman. I know. He's it's doing his so first Ironman. Yeah. And it was so funny because we used to do what we would call the two mile special around the neighborhood in Denver. Like I've been a runner since I was pretty young, like since I was like 12. So for me, like two miles is kind of nothing. I'm like, I don't really want to go if it's only two miles and I have to like come back and shower and what a waste of time, whatever. But we would do this. I was like, okay, but you really want to run with you. 
So we would do this two mile special around our neighborhood. And that was like his run for the day. For the week. For the week. <laughs> Come on but in. now he's like just so awesome and so inspiring and this like iron man of a dude. So how did, cool. um, like, do you remember the, Jesse, do you remember like the, the changes in your health that you experienced or did you feel a shift when you started to go vegan? Cause it sounds like you went pretty quick. Yeah. So I think like kind of Monica said that, you know, her change was more for the environment. Um, and like globally where I was maybe a little bit more selfish and I tried it and within, I'll say two weeks, I just felt this like transformation in my body where, you know, I wasn't having this like chronic lower back and hip pain. And, you know, I wasn't eating a ton of meat at the time, but I was eating cottage cheese by like the bucket, mm. you know, in my mind, I was like, it's low, low fat. There's tons of protein in Protein, this. calcium. Yeah, Because calcium without dairy, just, you're surely going to break some yeah, bones. Yeah, so there's tons of dairy. And I think that was the biggest thing for me was once I started cutting that out and started exercising like even more once we moved to California, you know, the two-mile special turned into the three-mile <laughs> loop around Lake Merritt. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, you know, my body started feeling better. And I was like, wow, I can actually, I can like sustain a decent pacing keep running and not have my back start pounding after, you know, 25 minutes. Yeah. Because it's when you walk around with that chronic kind of pain, it's, it's always in your mind and it's all, there's always like a bit of a fear of like, Oh, I'm going to tweak it. Or, Oh God, if I do this, my back's going to hurt. I can't help my friend move because my abs going to hurt and all that. And I think in, and for me too, it was two, it was like two weeks and I felt good, mm -hmm. but I hit this whole new level of good. Yep. Like, and it was about two weeks and it, for me, it was dairy mm -hmm. 100% hands down. I was getting rid of the dairy. So it sounds like you ate as much cottage cheese as I ate like block <laughs> cheese. cheese. Yep. But like, yeah. I think it was the recovery too. I mean, for me, it was more recovery like, is oh my huge. God, the recovery is so great. That's like the Holy grail of all of this. Like, yeah. Isn't it? If you can recover from whatever workout you're doing, then like. Yeah. I don't know what else. It's you could the ask recovery for is what yeah. we, we notice so much. But I think what happens, like in your case, what I'm hearing, it's it's like you didn't even have to really worry about that fear of like, oh, my low back's gonna hurt after this run because it was like your body was taking like the step forward and being like like there there just wasn't any worry there. Like mm -hmm. you didn't have to worry about your hip hurting anymore because your body changed so quickly. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. The body solved its own problem. Yeah, started giving it the, what it needed. That's so cool. It was the, so the cool. The body to took it over, too. and and mm -hmm. it's just it's been amazing. I mean, it's been like two, a little over two years for us now, and um, yeah, went from doing the two mile special with chronic back pain to, <laughs> to one day he woke up and he's like, I think I want to run the San Francisco Marathon, and I was like. Okay. And then I was like, what did you eat? <laughs> I was like, what did you have for breakfast? <laughs> it was so funny. And then we did. And it was kind of the start of all this. So. Mm -hmm. It's cool. And you both did Santa Rosa 70.3 with us a yeah. few weeks ago. That was great. Two weeks ago? Wasn't it fun? Two months ago? It was. It was a long time I had ago. an 18 minute T1 because I was putting on so many clothes because I didn't want to be cold. Oh my God. I had the longest T1. How was the walk up? Like, did you have so much foot pain? 
like Imagine coming that. out of the water. No, my feet were probably numb, but I was like, I couldn't. Yeah, mine even. were numb. But I yeah, actually, you, it's funny because like the day forever. before, I had this whole dilemma. It took me like an hour. Within which tent was it? It was like the zoot tent. Yeah, the zoot. The zoo, I was in the dressing room for like an hour. My mom was like, "Can you please come out of there?" But <laughs> I couldn't decide what I wanted to wear because. Like the shorts that I had packed were just like not very, they didn't fit very well anymore. Like they were super old and like, I don't know. I know you're not supposed to like get new gear the night before. So I was stressing out and like, I was always running in these like really awesome Lululemon tights that I totally love. And I didn't want to run anything else because I wanted all my pockets. But then I was like, well, what am I going to do if I'm too like hot in the swim? If I wear my tights and then when I'm on the bike, I won't have the padding and blah, blah, blah. And so I spent all this time in there and probably like $200 on like new gear that I did not use. <laughs> That I still have. That's great. I mean, I will use it and I have used it, but anyway, I did the swim. I wore my Lululemon tights underneath my wetsuit. So I was good. Like the bike oh, was Oh yeah, you were awesome. good. I was totally warm. My butt went numb because I didn't have like the padding, but it didn't matter. Like, yeah. It was, it was only, you know, it wasn't a super long ride. So it was fine. It's only and then I had them, <laughs> then yeah, I had them right. for my run and I was totally happy, but Yeah. <laughs> So there was that. That was my biggest problem. Yeah. Was that, was that your first half? My first half, yeah. And How Jesse, did... yours too? Yeah so, yeah, so since we moved out here, I think we... Monica did a few sprints back in Colorado, but so far I've done one one sprint, one Olympic, one, one half. half no, one, one full. Now I'm training for yeah. one full, so... I love it. Yeah. I, yeah. I didn't know that was... I, I mean, I'm sure I asked you guys, but... I thought you had done a half before. That's amazing. You guys both had a great day. Thanks. Yeah, it was fun. It was just a great experience of like, I don't know, like meeting you guys, the camaraderie yeah. of everyone. Yeah. It's just like a group event, you know. Super cool community. I, I love how the I love really how well it, organized. the swim. You're sort of you're in the you're you're in the water with a bunch of people, but you're really on your own mm-hmm. in the swim. You know, yeah, you're in your own little environment. Yeah. You get on the bike, you're kind of on your own. Mm-hmm. When you get to the run, it like everything comes together. Like yeah. every you see people crossing each other, you get, yeah. you get the eye contact. And the fans, especially at this race, yeah, you get to go downtown, and then the the sides were lined with people. Mm-hmm. I feel like the community just all comes together at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. and you'll totally. see that more when you get to Ironman. Like yeah, I can't it's wait. that's like, so awesome. So much more activity going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, the same thing that like you come back out of all of the first two sports and you get to that last bit of a run and everything comes together. Even though you're hurting, you know, there's people yeah. out there rooting you on. Totally. Yeah. Are you really fired up for Arizona? Yeah, I can't wait. Okay. <laughs> it's, yeah. Because it's going to be phenomenal. Yeah, I can't wait. It's, uh, I don't know, everyone asks, like, how, like, how do you do the training and, like, fit all the stuff in, but... It's just, it's fun. I mean, I'm like yeah. loving like swimming and biking and running, yeah. like all of it. It's not like you're just out there grinding on one thing. It's like, yeah. you're, the training's fun. That's like yeah. what I'm really taking away. And you're doing right it all now. on plants. This this whole thing I can know. be done on plants. So The whole thing. Right? There's all no there's no real reason that you need no. to go anywhere else. Plus he looks really good. Oh. Yeah, he does. He's a number I one mean, I agree. Husband. He's a number one husband. <laughs> You're both you're both pretty easy on the eyes though. Let's oh, just you. let's just be clear. Well, but I think the coolest thing is like the um I think like the execution of the plan. So like for the half at least, like and it's just like this with everything. Like you can relate this to your Iron Man or to like your plant based lifestyle or to whatever else, whatever other life goals. But I think like just the creation of this training plan that we had and like adhering to it with enough flexibility that like I could adapt for all the things that I go through day to day and that Jesse could 
like feel comfortable like sticking to on a day-to-day basis was so helpful like I feel like we got to the half and I felt totally prepared I mean like beforehand I was worried because I was like well I had you know kind of had to rearrange things and I didn't get to all the workouts necessarily but for the most part I did them all but then on race day, I felt like, wow, I actually felt really prepared and felt pretty strong. Yeah, I was really impressed watching her go through the training plan because, you know, she'd come home after a 30-hour shift and she could go and just lay down immediately and sleep for the next, you know, 12 hours. Or, you know, we'd meet at the pool and off adrenaline or whatever it may be, bang out an hour an hour swim and then come home and have. So you got to just make those like key decisions in your day yeah. to prioritize and make sure that, you know, if something you want to do, it's going to be work, but it's super mm-hmm. rewarding. It's, you feel so much better. And you look too. back at it and it's like, wow, I've accomplished that. It's, you know, people can't take it away from you after the fact. And it feels really good. Mm-hmm. Once you get to that point. It's a choice. You always have a choice yeah. and, and it does, there's no wrong or right. You always have a choice though. And to come back to what, why are you doing this? Yeah. And, is this something you, you really want to do? Like detach yeah. from the results. Like that's, right. that's great. It that just, comes afterwards. Does it make you happy or not? Right. But I think that's the thing. Cause it's like, it doesn't really make me that happy to just get off work and go to bed and then go back to work. But I feel so much happier if like we have time together and like, you know, your body is just happier after you've done some of this and you can, you know. And the thing I love about traveling is you're just moving it in different ways, mm-hmm. you know, and then incorporate yoga. Oh, obviously, yeah. we're obviously we're big believers in yoga and triathlon. Yeah. So for someone who like wants to do something like this, but they're like, I can't because I work really long hours. Like mm-hmm. I, I'm, there's a few professions that I, I mean, I don't really, I can't even list right now, but like that may be as demanding as yours as far as like hours and being on and the intensity and what you're seeing. I mean, you're, you're seeing like mankind, like in its rawest form, you know, people coming to you because something is not right. Something is out of balance, you know? And so, and so you've got the long hours, but also you've got, you know, the weight of everything that you're seeing. And so like, what would you say to somebody who wants to pursue, like wants to run that marathon or, you know, even a 10K, it doesn't matter what it is, but they think I can't do it because I don't have enough time. Like, what would you say to them? Like, what were some things that allowed you to get it done? Like you just did a half Ironman. That's a pretty big yeah. deal. Oh, thanks. <laughs> well, I think, um, I mean, I think you just have to think about what makes you happy. Like if it makes somebody happy to sit there and like watch TV with their four hours off after work and like that's their jam which I can't imagine that that actually really is fulfilling for most people you know then like maybe that's what they get value out of and that's what they do but I think for me it's it was more about like feeling refreshed like I don't feel refreshed and capable of like doing my job day after day after day if I can't like go outside for part of the day or if I can't like sweat you know and so I think that um it's just a matter of prioritizing that and so so many people don't prioritize self-care like or sleep, for example, or things like that. And so, like, when I'm on call for 30 hours, like, I prioritize that sleep. Like, maybe it's only going to happen for an hour, but I will sleep at some point in the night when I'm at work. Like, it's going to happen. Like, it's never not happened. But, you know, I think that but there are plenty of people that I work with that will be, like, on, and they'll just stay, like, the whole night, and, like, they're just ready for anything, and that's how they do it. And that's, you know, for me, I think that it's just prioritizing kind of those moments and, kind of thinking like, well, what's going to make me the happiest in the end, even if I don't feel like doing it right now, you know? 
And I think that's so important for anyone who's a giver, right? You're there and you're, you're helping others. You've dedicated your whole career to assisting others and living a better life, you know, and, and then sometimes literally like pulling them from death and, and helping them. And that's where Western medicine is so amazing to me. It's just like acute care is just, it's unbelievable and so grateful that we have it. But if we don't take care of ourselves, we can't take care of anybody. Totally. And that's, I think that's how it comes down to, to like in relationships also. Like, I think that we've both kind of found over the years. I mean, he's been through a lot with me, but like, if I, if I come home from work and I'm like, oh, we have plans and we're going to do this and this and this, and I don't get the 20 minutes or the half hour or the hour to like go outside and run or go to yoga or do something, then it's like, we might as well not have had anything fun planned because I won't be in a good mood. And so it's the same thing. I think it goes both ways for both of us. Like just giving yourself enough space that like you have to kind of prioritize taking care of yourself and if you don't then nothing else will fall into place until you're actually like in a good sort of state of mind so I think that's been a good learning for us yeah I think that's a good place to Mm -hmm. to end prioritizing your self-care yeah yeah givers out there yeah givers yeah and takers and takers I mean maybe you should more givers. Not really prioritize the self care as much. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Yeah. You guys, thank you so much for Yay. having thank us you at so your much. house. This has Thanks been amazing. For this mm-hmm. is awesome. Thank you. And yeah. Uh, yeah, good luck with the rest of your training, Jesse. What's yeah. next for you, Monica? I'll see you in Arizona. Yeah, yeah, Arizona. yeah dude. Totally. Maybe Mendocino. Maybe the Mendocino 50. Yeah. yeah All fun. right. 50K. We are recruiting people. We are, yeah, we are currently, like, Sid's, All your friends. Poor Sid Hillman's like, I cap the race, you guys. You yeah. know that, right? Wait, I cap it. Oh, no. No, 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 no. It's not even open oh, yet, okay. but he caps it because he wants to keep it. But we're recru- we're currently, we're actively recruiting. Okay. For him, mm-hmm. even though he doesn't need it at all, we just want a whole bunch That's of Yogi so triathletes awesome. up there. Yeah, we're gonna. Yeah, that'd be so awesome. We're gonna rock those redwoods in 2018. Go. I know. I'm gonna get my sister to That's gonna be great. For shiz. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Dr. Monica, she's awesome, right? So full of life, funny, honest, smart, and clearly doing what she is supposed to be doing with her life right now. And what about Jesse's story of transformation from DNFing while couch shopping to the two mile special to his first Ironman this November in Arizona? I know Beej is excited about meeting back up with them at Ironman Arizona. So if any of you guys are racing IMAS, please let us know. BJ will be planning some sort of YT meetup and hopefully that will be in the form of pre-race yoga, which is becoming our staple offering for Ironman events. And always it is free. And even sooner, BJ will be racing Ironman Wisconsin this coming Sunday. And he just announced this morning uh, the free yoga schedule for the week. I believe it's Friday at 7 a.m. on the Capitol Hill lawn. So go to Yogi Triathlete, uh, our social outlets, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and get the skinny on that. And please share it with your friends that are racing. So it's going to be yoga specifically designed for the athletes, but so much more than that is going to be the yoga of competition, the the tips and the mindfulness and the breathing exercises that he's going to teach is just so valuable for race morning. So he is traveling to this race all by his lonesome. Clark and I are staying here in Southern California, and he has already scoped out Madison's only vegetarian vegan restaurant. So if you're up for sharing a meal with the man, I think he'd love that. Okay, you guys, next week, we'll be back with another powerful episode of Purpose. Thank you so much for the feedback from last week's episode with BJ and I. Your emails are so heartfelt, and they mean the world to us. Deep thanks, you guys. 
Keep it simple. Refuse to allow your mind to complicate yourself out of health. Shift your awareness to your breath when balance hangs in the balance. And remember always that every moment is a moment to begin again. Like for real, I'm not feeding you a decorative yoga speak. It's the real deal. Every moment is a moment to begin again, to move forward, to right our wrongs, to love more, to be stronger, to bust into our dreams and master our goals.